it, like it is a special connection and it's something that does feel very comfortable and just feels like home. Welcome back to the Ranch Collective Podcast. And if you're new, welcome. I'm Harley and I'm your host. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me and my guest, Marky, today. She is not only an advocator and educator on social media, she will also be educating kids in the fall in the classroom. This is episode one of two with Marky, the lady behind the Girls Eat Beef Tube vision. We are spending it kind of getting to know her and her background. Um, next week, we will deep dive into the mission and journey specifically behind Girls Eat Beef Tube, but this episode is for getting to know her. I had such a lovely time chatting with her, and I hope you enjoy as much as I did and learn as much as I did too. Hi, I'm Marky Hageman, and I am a beginner rancher, and I'm the founder of Girls Eat Beef 2, and I'm also going to be a future teacher, a middle school English teacher in the fall. So can you explain what Girls Eat Beef 2 is? Yes. Girls Eat Beef 2 is my social media advocacy platform. Uh, it's I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and it's just kind of how... I try to tell my story through my experiences with, you know, the beef industry and kind of ag in general. And um, it's also my way of just trying to reach beyond my tribe, trying to advocate, trying to promote all things beef and cattle related. And it's kind of, it's kind of like a a blog essentially, right? Like, you know, Instagram and Facebook kind of tend to be little micro blogs. Yeah, and you do a lot of your posts through memes, which I think are the the like the funniest shit I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so because sometimes I'm like, mm, "Is this funny? This is not funny." And then actually, you know, they do pretty well sometimes, and I'm like, "Oh, I guess that was funny." So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like it makes you know when you talk about like advocating. Um, it makes like that educational information like digestible and really fun and helps people who like maybe normally wouldn't feel like they're in on the joke or in on that information feel like they are a part of that and can be in on the joke. Yeah, that's and that I'm glad you interpreted it that way because that's exactly what my, I guess, mission is. I, me personally, I grew up with memes, you know, I'm a millennial, like we invented memes. And so we, you know, when I would scroll through social media, it's the memes are always what's catching my eye. I'm, I'm always like, oh, this is funny. This is a a good way to learn about pop culture, learn about even current events through, you know, these kind of silly things. And so that's exactly what I was hoping is people will be able to relate to it on a different level and, you know, find some humor in it, you know, make it less confrontational, I guess, is what I'm, I'm hoping with it. So I'm glad you interpreted it that way. Yeah, I think, I don't know, although I don't know if this is one you posted or this is one I saw elsewhere on the internet. Um, there's like the one of like, you know, the guy where he's like walking with his girlfriend, but he's looking back at the other girl mm-hmm. and he's like making the ooh face. There's like, it's like me, I am the guy. And then it's like cows I have at home. And it's like, new cows and it's just like okay someone outside the industry might not normally like get why that's so funny but then they can look at that 
photo of it and they're like, okay, I get the joke now. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like its own language, I guess. It's, you know, people can, like you said, people can kind of get in on the joke when normally they may not understand it. And with my memes too, I do try to make them, you know, because some memes I see out there are like definitely very um, aggressive, I guess you could say. And some of them definitely like as a beginner in the industry myself, relatively a beginner, um, even I'm like, oh, I don't get that one. So I do try to make sure that mine are like basic level too, and try to maybe explain myself more in a caption or, you know, tell the story a little bit differently, because I know that sometimes there are things that people just don't understand about our industry. And that's, you know, that's the disconnect, right? Yeah. And I think it's important. I mean, I, I'm like not technically in the industry. I'm like the fiance of a branch manager and I grew up um, like Western adjacent. Like we had horses when I was a kid, but like we weren't in any kind of like agriculture industry, but I feel like the information I have like a step up from like your average everyday person, because I have a little bit of like understanding about it, Mm -hmm. but I would like to help bridge that gap between like your average everyday person. And then like the professionals inside the industry who know all of that, like where, how can we help them communicate? Yeah. And I, I like how you say it, you call it Western adjacent. Cause I feel like that's a, like a great progressive way of saying it. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I, think I relate to that too, because like I grew up riding horses as well. And, you know, we had maybe 20 acres growing up and we had, you know, horses on it, but I didn't grow up, um, you know, in the ranching industry. I didn't grow up in production agriculture. You know, I grew up on a horse farm, essentially a a boarding stable is really more what it was. And so while I still had this connection, it, it was still very disconnected. I still didn't know. I, there's still a lot I don't know. And, um, so I I like how you say that because I, I, you know, I relate to that. I'm, I'm really Western adjacent as well. And I'm, I'm still kind of, in that realm, I guess, because I'm still not fully in that ranching lifestyle. Yeah. I was trying to come up with like, I was like, what's the best way to describe how I feel about my relationship with like Western industries. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of like the cool neighbor that just like always has the barbecue going. Is like, Hey, you want a beer? <laughs> <laughs> that's the important thing that that's what people need. They need to have someone who will give them beers. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I've heard you say it a couple times. What do you mean when you say like beginner rancher? So for me, it, I've really been in the industry. So I, I've only owned cattle for less than a year at this point myself. And um, I've been in the industry, like actually actively trying to be involved, you know, uh, as a member of organizations or, um, you, you know, being a part of my, my cattleman's group, things like that, since um, it would have been spring of 2017, I think. So, when, you know, like I said, I, I didn't grow up in the beef cattle industry. Um, I think the only connection I have is my grandpa grew up in the dairy, or my grandpa was in the dairy industry when I was very little. And then my little sister showed a dairy heifer one year. And that's, those are the only connections I have to cattle. Um, 
and then when I moved to Alabama, I, um, I lived with my mom and my stepdad and my stepdad actually had, um, about like 20 head of commercial cows. And, um, I, of course I was an adult by the time that my mom, he and my mom got married. So I had no connection to his cows at all. And when I moved there, I jumped right in. I attended meetings with him. I, um, started kind of getting more involved in the industry and really doing my homework, I guess, about, you know, regarding what it would take for me to start my own herd. Um, but I've done all of that within the last five years. So there's a lot that I'm learning. And most of the things I'm learning, I'm learning now that I have heifers. Um, because before it was just me reading things and not really making a connection. And now I'm actually making a connection because I'm actively doing it. So I, that's what I mean by beginner. It's just, I'm new. I, there's a lot that I don't know. There are a lot of things that I'm still learning and, you know, it's, I technically, if you look at like the, um, FSA, uh, guidelines, I'm, I fall under the young beginner rancher category. So. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know there was guidelines. <laughs> yeah. To, like when you want to get, um, loans, you can, if you're under 35, if you've been, if, if you've owned or like managed or been in the industry for less than a decade, then you're considered a beginner. Oh, interesting. Okay. Did yeah. not know. Yeah. So, um, that's why I kind of categorize myself as that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Let's back up just a little bit. So you said you grew up like on a horse, a boarding uh, facility basically. Yeah. And you're kind of a self-described horse girl. I saw your website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Tell me, tell me about it. So, yeah, I, I've been riding horses since before I could remember. Um, my mom grew up riding horses and when I was in sixth grade, I believe we moved on, we moved to Fresno and we lived on, like I said, 20 acres. And that was, it was a horse boarding facility and my mom would give lessons over the weekends. And, um, we had like 4-H projects, you know, I had hogs and lambs and, you know, I, I had a horse pretty much for my entire life. I had one horse or another. My mom would always, my mom and my, my previous stepdad, um, they would, go travel back to like Texas and Oklahoma and they would buy horses and bring them back. And my mom would put me on all these rank horses just because she knew I was young. And if I fell, I could heal faster than she could. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, so I, I rode a lot of the horses for them to help them sell them, you know, kind of break them in a little bit and, and sell them. And then I did like Jim Canna's. I, you know, mostly it was very casual riding. I, I helped give horseback riding lessons too, but I didn't really show or anything when I grew up. I just um, did, you know, the, the weekend Jim Canna's sometimes, but I, I rode for pretty much my whole life. And when I was 24, I think 23, I was um, rodeo queen for the Woodlake Lions rodeo. And then after that, I started ranch horse um, shows and I kind of got into breakaway and cow horse for a hot minute, but, um, but I've since sold my horse. So right now I'm horseless, but that's not going to be for very much longer. 
Um, but yeah, horses have basically been my, my life. Like that's how, that's kind of how I bridged my, you know, myself prior to being connected to the ag industry, you know, like being a part of it, but not really understanding it, not knowing a lot about it. Um, horses were kind of like my bridge to everything else. Um, when I ran for rodeo queen, I realized that I had no prior experience in showing. I trained for a whole year to run for rodeo queen and I was, I had a coach, I was studying rodeo knowledge. I had no prior experience in that, which is rare because a lot of people look down on you for that, I think. And, or from me, I guess. And, um, I realized when I was going through all of that, that there was a lot I didn't know. And there was a lot that I loved and I, to be a true advocate for the rodeo industry, I felt like I needed to know more about agriculture in general, cause they're all connected in some way. So once I, after I, I won the title, that's when I changed my, my uh, degree. I was, um, I was fashion merchandising prior to that. And, um, I changed my degree to animal science and, um, obviously I changed it again. I changed it again quite a few times. That's kind of how I, I got to where I am. It all started with horses. So people always think that horse girls are crazy, but I've always felt like I was not part of that, which of course I might be biased because it's me, but I never felt like a crazy horse girl. Okay. I feel like when people say horse girl, they don't mean like girls who actually like owned horses and were obsessed with them. It was like, the weird girls who were obsessed with horses that just like wanted to hang out with horses, but had never actually been around. Them. Yeah. That, that makes more sense. That makes me feel better then. Cause I'm always like, <laughs> I'm always like, why do people hate horse girls so much? But that makes more sense to me. Yeah. I think it's just like the weird obsession with what you can't have or what you don't have. Yeah. It's specifically about horses. Yeah. That makes sense. Then I did, I did date a guy when I was in Alabama who he hated horses and he was, well, he was a jerk anyway, but he liked chickens, which whatever. But I was like, um, okay. Like, that seems like a weird thing to, to dislike. But, and as I had a horse at that time and it was like very actively involved in, you know, like riding and, and working on cow horse stuff. So I was like, okay, whatever. That didn't last long, but you know, here we are. <laughs> well okay so when you were gonna say you dated a guy who didn't like horses I thought you were gonna say like you dated a guy who wasn't like really into ag stuff or like wasn't into animal stuff because I dated a guy who was like v very very uncomfortable with around horses but he was like that with like even my dog like my domestic dog he was like a kind of uncomfortable which oh, interesting that should have been a big red flag but um mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah unfortunately like and sometimes you're just kind of ignorance is bliss about that too because you're like oh you know you really like them and then you realize after you're like oh well they didn't like this stuff anyway so yeah <laughs> it was never meant to be well uh yeah I like well when I first came to college <laughs> came to college when I first went, moved like out of my hometown and went to college I was like yes finally getting out of this small town 
fuck everything Western. I'll do city stuff. And here I am, you know, 10 years later and I'm engaged to a ranch manager. Uh, yeah. You, you should have knocked on wood back then. Cause now you, when you said that back then, it was like setting you up for marrying a rancher, you know, God was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm going to make you laugh about this later on. <laughs> I do. I look back and I'm like, you know, the values that I hold are like more, I guess, traditional values. And like, that's very in line with someone who was raised like in a more, by like more traditional parents as well. So it's 0% surprising that I ended up with who I ended up with. Yeah, Right. <laughs> well, and it's good to like, you know, cause I, I strayed away from my roots essentially, or, you know, the ag industry in general um, for quite some time. And I think that, you know, it's good to have that perspective. It's good to get out of it sometimes and see a lot of other things and do other things and be connected to other things. And, you know, like you said, like your values aligned more with people that are sometimes in this industry. So I think that, you know, ultimately you were probably going to end up in, in that industry no matter what. Right. But it's good to just be able to like, have different perspectives and, you know, be able to like ha- be open-minded enough, which I think that's a rare perspective that you and I kind of share. And I think it's cool. It's unique. Yeah. I think I know for me, it was like important to get out and experience some other stuff before I could kind of like come back home to like this feeling of like, being involved with horses and cows and chickens and ducks and enjoying like oh I feel genuinely happy a couple weekends ago I went out and shot some photos for a local horse rescue and I was like oh it just feels so homey to just like be hanging out in the barn with the horses yeah being connected to the industry like it is a special connection and it's something that does feel very comfortable and just feels like home so it's it's nice I definitely like I would never, ever, ever want to be, you know, like in the fashion industry, like I was planning on being, but you know, I, I do love this industry. It feels like where I'm supposed to be. And so it's just, it's nice. Yes, I agree. Although I've noticed some really interesting trends in fashion gearing back towards some stuff that is really popular. What in like the Western world. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of neat how they're, and you look at like um, Western influencer or like West, Western fashion influencers and like there's a lot of crossover and, you know, from both sides. And it's just kind of it's neat because it's like we are really connected and, you know, fashion industry still relies a lot on, you know, things like leather products and and beef byproducts for textiles and things like that. So there's still a lot of connection there. So. It's just kind of neat how everything's intermingled and people don't sometimes understand that. So it's like, that's why it's good to, to advocate for it. Listen, if people don't understand how everything is all connected, tell them to watch the devil wears Prada because she explains it perfectly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. When Meryl Streep um, was sitting there with the belt. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That was a great movie. It's a classic. I love it. It is. It's so good. I'm going to tell people that I'm going to like go, I'm going to find the timestamp for that moment in the movie. And I'm just going to hand people a card that says here, go watch this. And then you come yes. back to me. 
there you go or the scene where she's like trying to explain how like this the um and Hathaway's character comes in like wearing the blue sweater or whatever and she's like you think that you're so cool or like above it or whatever because you're wearing the sweater and then she goes into like the background of how that sweater ended up on that clearance rack or whatever yeah yeah so i'm curious so if you come from kind of like a western-ish background how did you get into fashion stuff you said that was like kind of the first direction you wanted to go yeah so so okay when i was young when i was in sixth grade my parents divorced and so one you know every other week i was with my mom on we called it the ranch and then i was with my dad who he lived in town and they had very, 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 very different tastes. And my mom or my, my grandma on my dad's side, she would always take me shopping and, um, you know, growing up, I just, of course I watched like Disney channel and things like that. And I, you know, whatever psychological reason, I just really, I really wanted to be a part of the, LA scene. I grew up, you know, watching like Laguna Beach and um, the hills and things like that. And wait, pause. Let's pause really quick. You were born what year? 1990. Okay. So we're about the same age. I'm only a couple, I'm a couple years younger than you are. So I was just curious. I was like, how close yeah. in age are we? Because I felt the, ex- I felt the exact oh, okay. same way. Good. That makes it so yeah. like being almost 31. It's like, ugh. so I grew up you know, loving all those things. And every other week it was like, I was living two different lifestyles. So I was still very connected to being, you know, around horses and, you know, other animals, but I just somehow always felt like I really liked fashion and I really liked, um, thinking that I was going to be in LA and be an actress or something, you know, I had all these big dreams. I do remember a couple times trying to convince my dad to take me to LA to like audition for a commercial or something. And that never happened, but I don't know why it's just, that's kind of where my, my heart went. And when I was in high school, I was not in any type of ad class. I was never in FFA and I took fashion classes and I took, I was in drama and I was in journalism and I loved those things. And I kind of just carried that with me when I started college. I I went to junior college to get my general ed out of the way. And then I was going to go to LA to the fashion Institute of design and merchandising. And I was going to um, major in fashion merchandising. And I even remember like trying to teach myself how to sketch, um, you know, fashion sketches. And I like tried to learn sewing in high school. Mind you, I was never good at any of that, but I had these big grand plans of that lifestyle. And um, yeah, my mom kind of sat me down one night and she was like, is this really what you want to do? Like you can't take your animals with you when you go to LA, it's going to be very expensive. You're not going to have any of us there. And she just kind of, I think I I always say that she was like the dream killer in the worst way because she kind of made me realize that, you know, what was, what was really a priority in my life. And so that's kind of how I, I came back around to agriculture. Yeah. And you said you then changed, you wanted to do animal science and then you changed a whole bunch of other times. And now you are um, going to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the wonderful roller coaster of Marky Higman's educational 
journey. Uh, yeah, I started, so I started fashion merchandising. I switched to animal science and then from animal science, I thought that I was going to do equine science because hashtag horse girl. And I <laughs> thought that I was going to, I don't know what I was going to do with that, but I quickly realized what the hell am I going to do with equine science? And, um, so then I switched to, it was ag education. And then uh, ironically enough, when I was ag education, I actually sat in on a high school ag class and that pretty much ruined it for me because the kids were punks. And I was like, I don't want right. to deal with this. Um, and so I was like, I'm not going to be a teacher. I went to beef production very, very briefly. And I took a beef class. I remember at Fresno State, I took a beef class. It was um, beef management. And I had no idea what they were talking about in class. I struggled a lot in that class. And, um, and then I changed, and then I changed to, I think it was plant science. And then, <laughs> and then I dropped out of college because I, I clearly could not figure out what I wanted to do. And at that point, you know, I was, I was brand new to the industry. Like I literally had maybe been involved in it for a year. And um, I was like, yeah, I'm wasting a lot of money and time doing this. So I might as well just go back to work and figure life out. And so when I was um, 26 years old, almost 27, I finally went back to school with agribusiness as my major. And I graduated when I was 29. So and then, and then I actually had more of a career in ad communications. Um, that's kind of where I really got involved because my freelance writing, um, social media, things like that, that's what I really got into. Um, and then I actually, I had a job in it last fall that I absolutely hated when I like cried to my fiance about it. He was like, well, what would you really want to do? Like, Let's figure it out. And I was like, you know what? I really want to be an English teacher. And so now I'm getting my teaching credential and I'm going to be an English teacher in the fall. <laughs> it's really a roller coaster. So, hey, this is Sophia Solzner, owner of the Western Cup Specialist and founder of the Punchy Posse. As a former guest of the Range Collective podcast, I can genuinely say I hope you are loving this episode and become a regular listener if you're not already. Harley graciously provided me this opportunity to talk to you real quick. So I wanted to tell you who I am and what I do to see if I can help you. I work exclusively with Western and rural women who own a business, whether online or in their hometown. I spent four years developing social media strategies through hands-on experience with clients all across the country. I took these proven strategies and seeing a need in the Western industry decided to serve my babes, my Western and rural women, and support them on their journey to being a successful business owner. At the Western Job Specialist, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and strategy sessions, Shopify website design, social media management, and a slew of trainings. My most popular program right now is called the Punchy Paycheck. The Punchy Paycheck is a monthly membership that includes a live training each month on a topic chosen to help you grow and maintain your business, a live Q&A session, and a private group chat exclusive to Punchy Paycheck members. All this is valued at over $300, but to allow as many Haas babes as possible to participate, it is only $29 a month. This program is a perfect first step to growing your business or an amazing accountability tool to keep you pushing yourself past the level you've already reached. 
If you'd like to sign up, you can head to thewesternshopspecialist.com. You can also find out so much more about me and my business on my website and a direct link to join the Punchy Posse, which is a group exclusively for Western and rural women business owners. I would also love to connect with you on any of my socials. You can find me on Instagram at Sophia Solzner or at The Punchy Posse and also on Facebook, just The Western Shop Specialist. I look forward to chatting with you and I really hope you enjoy the rest of this episode with Harley. In doing my research, I noticed that you've like written a ton of articles for stuff and this is a really weird coincidence, but this episode's already had a bunch of them, so <laughs> it's fine. Um, on your blog you have like the word cultivate kind of near the top that was my word for 2021 really that's yes cool. i know i was like i got really excited i was like oh my god i have to t- tell her about this weird creepy thing I no those are like good coincidences that like are good to notice i you're a better person than me because you chose a word for the year and i didn't so fine i mean live your best life <laughs> What made you choose cultivate? I really liked. Okay, I, I really like the way that it sounds. I like the V sound in it, first of all. But it's a really kind of a diverse word. It's got a bunch of different meanings. Yeah. And I was like, okay, it can mean like to grow is one of the meanings. And I was like, okay, that's something that's really important to me. I want like my business to grow. I want my podcast to grow. I want that to be successful. Yeah. One of the other meanings is like to prepare. So it's like to cultivate is like to prepare and use specifically yeah. land for crops. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. Cause then I'm like talking to my yeah. ag peeps and then like to acquire or develop a skill. But I'm like, okay, I'm about it, about developing yeah. the new skills. The last word that I really liked um, that was associated with it was like to maintain. So like after kind of the craziness of 2020, I was like, okay, some of this creative energy that I felt I want to maintain that and bring that yeah. into the new year. Yeah, that's cool. It's a very yeah. um, diverse word in that sense. So it's cool that you like could apply that to a lot of different aspects. Yeah. So I thought that, that was like kind of another <laughs> fun little coincidence. Yeah, that's funny. I admittedly haven't been on my blog in a long time. So, but that's mainly because I use my Instagram more as my blog now. So did you just want to be an English teacher specifically because you enjoy writing what age group do you so i when i was thinking like back last fall when i was like what would i really want to do what would i want to teach and you know obviously agriculture was one of the the subjects that i considered but i realized you know i i'm not i don't feel like i should be teaching that like i can i can advocate for it and i can you know do a lot of things as far as teaching people and educating people. But when you're an act teacher, you're like in the weeds on that stuff. And there's no way I was going to teach like an ag mechanics class or anything like that. So I was like, yeah, yeah, that's just not for me. And, but then I realized that, you know, my strength is in English. You know, I, I grew up taking honors English classes, AP English. I, you know, I am a writer, and I, I think that's just where my strength is. Now, am I an expert? No, like there's a lot I still have to learn, but I knew that I could still connect. My big thing was I knew I could still connect my students with the ag industry through that platform, through English, you know, through our literature, any of our lessons, any of like the 
essays and things that we do in class, I can still pull all of the things that I love to teach about agriculture and put it into that subject. And so that's when I thought, okay, English is my strength. So how can I like marry the two English and agriculture and still be passionate about that subject and be passionate about both. Right. And um, so that's when I was really like, yeah, I, I want to do English because I can, I have a real world application, you know, knowledge of it. And I can use that to help my students learn why it's important to learn it and, you know, be an interesting and fun teacher, you know, educator who actually engages students. And of course, because I'm doing specifically English, which in California, it's single subject. So, you know, I have to teach older kids. And I like that because I'm a substitute right now, since um, I'm kind of still going through my, uh, the first semester of my program. And um, I've, and I was a substitute in Alabama too. So I already knew, but being in a classroom with like 21 first graders is the most draining thing. And I like, I love kids. I get along with them, but I have no desire to babysit. I don't want to sit there and like have to walk kids to the bus line every day. I don't want to have to sit there and like constantly get on to them about things and older kids. You can kind of manage that more. And so it was a, it was you know kind of a selfish reason too because I was like yeah I don't want to be sitting there all day with first graders honestly um, small doses is all I can handle with them and and also like my my communication style my humor style is kind of dry and sarcastic and little kids don't translate that well like they get confused and offended and like older kids can enjoy the humor a little bit more. And in, in, they know when I'm being sarcastic. So I definitely, I was like, what am I going to be most effective doing? And that was, I, preferably I would do high school, but um, I will be doing middle school um, as my first teaching job at the gate. But I've, you know, been in that classroom, you know, been in those kinds of classrooms. And it's, I feel like it's a good middle ground between the young kids and the older kids. You can still engage with them and still have fun with them without having to like hold their hand on everything. Yeah. And I, I totally feel about the younger kids. I was a cheerleading coach for a few years. I coached at a high school, the freshman team and a competition team for one year, and then was a tumbling coach at a private cheer gym for a couple of other years. And it's a whole it's so much more fun to coach yeah. other kids. Yeah. Cause like you, my sense of humor is dry and sarcastic yes. and little kids. Yeah. They no, they, they're like, they kind of just stare at you sometimes and you're like, okay, well it's a tough crowd, I guess, whatever. But yeah, you know, they're fun in the sense that you can be a little bit goofier with them and they still laugh. But for the most part, they don't understand. A lot of things go over their head when I'm talking to them. So I'm just like, man, that's probably not, but, but it works out. Cause I'm also, I am also learning that I'm very, very, very bad at teaching common core math. So that's clearly not, <laughs> not going to happen. I, I had a class on Wednesday. No. Yeah. Wednesday. And they had to do some type of, oh, it was called number talk. And they had to like draw four squares and in each square they had to solve one equation in four different ways. And 
they were trying, they were using all this lingo that I was like, what are you saying to me, child? Like, I don't know what you're t- telling me right now. And it was like just a basic addition. Like, I think it was 25 plus 10. And they're sitting here like doing all these number lines with like little like um, loopy things to show how they got to 35. And then, like kids were using like little, they look like little, um, um, oh my gosh, what are they? Like molecules. I have no idea what any of it was. The kids were literally teaching that part of the class because I had no idea what I was doing. So I realized then and there that, yep, I could not be multi-subject because I was not going to be able to teach math to any of these children. If you couldn't count it on your fingers, there was no chance. Yeah, I remember, and I know it's changed significantly since I was in school, but I remember having like um, Legos or like gummy bears or something. And we would have like three here and 10 here and they were like separated by color or whatever so that you could easily yeah. identify the groups of them um i remember doing it that way but i have friends now who have kids and the way they're solving problems i'm like what <laughs> yeah, the fuck is that literally i i have no idea how they get to some of their answers sometimes and it's like basic math. And I'm like, you guys just made this harder. You're like, math yes. is already hard oh, enough. yeah, I struggled. I struggled so much with math growing up and I still do. So it's like, why are you guys doing this to me? It's it's kind of humiliating. It, and that's the only good thing about small children is that they don't judge you. If you don't know that, like you can simply look dumb in front of them yeah. and they're not really going to care. So that's my only saving grace when it comes to teaching math to young kids but you get to do like the fun stuff as like a middle school english teacher or hopefully a high school english yeah. teacher that's the those are the fun yeah, years in english and, like my big thing for wanting to do high school is that i can also join you know i can also be the journalism um you know teacher i can help with the drama classes i can do yearbook and all the things that i was involved in and loved when i was in high school and the things that i have experience in i can do those when i'm in high school and that's like not only am i passionate about it but i can help these kids develop skills that they can use um skills or talents you know that they can use when they're in college and things that i really wish that i had focused more on growing up and so I, it, it's just cool because it, it, it'll give me a chance to really um, be more involved with a job. Whereas before, I just definitely was like, no, I'm going to clock in and clock out when I absolutely have to. And I don't care to be here. <laughs> so it'll give me more of a chance to be passionate about it. That's so awesome. I love I love talking to people, specifically people who are like educators in some way, because I've re- it's it is a passion project like educating has to come from like your heart you have to enjoy what you're talking about and so it's always nice to hear like people who are really passionate getting excited about educating yeah and so it's funny you say that because so the interview that I had for the job that I you know was offered and accepted um I I I, there were six of them because you know school interviews are always on a panel and the, it was the principal, vice principal, and three uh, or four. Yep, because that's math. See, um, and four English teachers. I think one of them might have been not been an English teacher. I don't know, but um, anyway. So 
they had asked me the last question that the principal had asked me, like actually brought me to tears and that's never happened before. And um, it was funny cause I felt really badly. I was like, wow, that was embarrassing. But I ended up getting offered the job the next day. So they were like, yeah, you're, you crying. Definitely. Like you got some bonus points for that. And I was like, you know, that just kind of showed me that this is really what I want to do. And I've never felt that way before. So it was really, it was really interesting just getting that excited about it. Uh, obviously I'm a drama queen, but you know, whatever. <laughs> no, that is super awesome. I think I saw that on yes. your Instagram. Cause like I said, yeah, I was doing yeah. some social media stuff. <laughs> uh, speaking of social media stalking, where can people find they you? They can on find me on Instagram and Facebook like we said earlier on girls eat beef too. Um, if they wanted to follow me personally, my Facebook and Instagram are Marky Hagman. Perfect. And then, um, Oh, I wanted to ask you about your clubhouse. Do you, are you going to host? Um, yes. Talks and stuff yes. Um, I say that after I've missed, two different chats because I forgot to put them on my calendar. But um, yes, I do. My next one I plan to have is actually about um, activists and how to handle an attack on your social media page. Um, because I just recently experienced that the day after I got engaged. And um, I struggled with it because I, while I had had confrontations on pages before, I had never experienced it in this volume and because I was working and I had a big interview right after work and then I had class, I was literally not able to um, uh, manage it. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, now I've learned a lot of what to do and how to handle it. And um, so now I'm, I'm wanting to share that with everyone else so that way they know what to handle or, you know, how to handle it when it happens. So don't know when that's going to happen for sure. Just because the next few weeks I'm busy with um, <laughs> wedding stuff and, um, you know, house stuff that we're doing. But yes, I do plan on having that within the next few weeks. And then um, I kind of just intermittently like having chats. I, it's not something that I have a lot of time for, unfortunately. But whenever I find some inspiration, I like to post a chat. So definitely if anyone's on clubhouse, they can follow me on clubhouse, which is, you know, Marky Higman or the girls eat beef Two has a clubhouse uh, or its own club in clubhouse. I don't know, but, um, uh, definitely I'll, I'll be trying to be more active on there in the next few months. Perfect. And then just so everybody knows, um, to like T O O, yes, yeah. not like well, I, I do have an acronym for the page, which is G E B two. But yes, like spelling it out is T O O. All right, guys. This was part one of two with my friend Marky from Girls Eat Beef Two. Next week, she's going to talk all about how she started Girls Eat Beef Two and kind of the inspiration behind the name and her journey as an advocate. And I cannot wait to share that one with you. I would love to know what you think of our new kind of format that I'm working with. Um, yeah, I'm really, really excited about this episode and I can't wait for you to join me next week. 
Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.